Welcome to this message from Eastwood Baptist Church, one church with two locations in Bowling Green and Alberton, Kentucky. To learn more, visit eastwoodbc.org. Now, may the Lord bless you in the hearing of His Holy Word. Hey, good evening. So glad to see all of you out tonight. And thank you. Thank you for coming out. I don't know, um, you know, typically, uh, I'm going to be in the time frame tonight, all right? So this means you guys got to listen fast tonight. No. Hey, we are going to read most of the text that we are going to cover tonight. It's just two chapters, and it's one of those things that it's just a little bit more self-explanatory. Because it just, I mean, it just kind of listens. So the text we're going to look at tonight are just sort of like listing, boom, 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 boom. And so we'll kind of break it down by category and all those things. But nevertheless, we're just going to read a lot of chapter 21 and a lot of chapter 22. So Leviticus 21 is where we're going to be tonight. And so um, I know y'all all know this from your own experience that, that money doesn't last forever. <laughs> it can be here today and gone tomorrow. But literally, I mean, it, it doesn't last forever. In fact, if you have dollar bills... The typical lifespan, any idea, anybody have any idea what the typical lifespan is for a bill, for a note? That's the official name actually for a bill of some sort. How long is it in circulation? Any idea? Eight years? Five years? Twelve years? It depends on the bill. So ones, fives, and ten dollar bills, only three and a half years. That's... I mean, you think about it. Those are the ones that get traded the most, you know, exchanged the most. Kids play with the most. Probably if you're going to give a kid, you're going to give him a dollar bill. You know, it's going to get all messed up and gnarled up. Like Nathaniel, oh, it drives me nuts. Nathaniel, when you give him a dollar bill, he takes it and he like does origami with it. Like he folds it in the, I'm not kidding you, it's like a one by one square. And he puts it in his pocket like, son, you're going to lose that. And, but he, he's rough on bills, all right? So three and a half years, if it's a $20 bill, they're in circulation typically about five years. If you have a, a, a $50 bill, now that's where it gets out to 12.6 years. I guess nobody really fools with 50s. Like they either want the Benjamin or they want the 20, right? Uh, who's on the 20? Andrew Jackson. They either want the Jackson or they want the Benjamin, all right? Um, and then the $100 bill, the Benjamins, 8.9 uh, years. So basically nine years is how long that bill is in circulation. So, I mean, just after a while, they just wear out. And every year, a, a few billion bills. Now, I'm talking about, I'm not saying a few billion dollars because it's way more than that. But every year, a few billion bills get collected, taken out of circulation, destroyed, and then replaced by the Federal Reserve. And one of the most frustrating things, and the reason is they just get worn out, right? You can't even hardly use them anymore. Maybe you have one of those in your pocket right now. Every, you know, one of the most frustrating things ever is trying to get a vending machine to take an old dollar bill, right? I mean, even if it's not that old, you're on the side and you're you know, doing all this, trying to straighten it out, and you're breathing on it, trying to iron it out, and all this stuff. But that's one of the reasons why they got to get rid of them after a while, right? They just don't work for things that we need them, like ATM machines or vending machines. But... If you think about this for just a moment, you know, <laughs> just unaccepted, 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 just keep spitting it back out. Or maybe, you, have you ever had, a, uh, had like a dollar bill that was so worn out or so torn or so defaced that you wondered if you could ever spend it? Like you're afraid, like, I'm never going to be able to, they're going to reject this, right? I've always been afraid that the teller or the cashier is going to say, I'm sorry, sir, 
But I just can't accept that bill, man. That is junk, all right? And y'all ever had that happen? You know what I'm talking about? Like it's like tape torn. Anyway, man, I've seen it happen. Um, but fortunately, most places are, are pretty lenient. But there are standards. There are standards for what is acceptable when it comes to trading money. Now, the same is true when we think about worshiping God in Leviticus. When God teaches his people, Israel, about worshiping him, uh, he has standards for what is acceptable. And we've looked at this kind of, in one sense, all throughout Leviticus so far. But if we are to think about the temple service in a financial sense for a moment, or in a transactional sense, then the offering was the money paying for the sins of the sacrificer. And the priests were the cashiers, so to speak. God has standards, as we're going to see tonight, for both the cashiers and the money. <laughs> for the priests and the sacrifices. So here is tonight's takeaway, tonight's truth. And it's this, is that God requires flawlessness and wholeness for those in his presence and those who are worshiping him. Now, notice when I said wholeness, I didn't say holiness. That kind of goes with the flaw, uh, flawlessness. But wholeness, we're going to see that here in just a moment, all right? God requires flawlessness and wholeness for those in his presence and his worship. Now, as I say that, does that surprise anybody after everything we've seen here? Absolutely not, because God is a God that requires perfection. And guys, think about that for just a moment. His requirement is perfection. Be holy as I am holy. Keep that in mind as we go forward. So first, we're going to look at for the priests. Flawlessness and wholeness for the priests, all right? We're going to begin here in the text, and it talks about ceremonial purity requirements for all priests. Now remember, as we talked about through Leviticus, there are two types of purity. One we would call ceremonial. When he says clean and unclean, that's not necessarily sinful things. It just means that you're not fit to come into the presence of God if you have touched these things. You've been defiled by things, okay? And then the other one, of course, as we talked about last week, is moral purity. All right, and that is sinful. But here he begins, God begins here talking to Moses to tell Aaron and all of the priests about ceremonial purity for all the priests. And he begins by saying this. First, there is limited contact with a dead body. Now, we've kind of already talked about this about in the cleanliness code, but that was for the people in general, okay? This is specifically for the priests. So let's look at Leviticus 21, verses 1 through 4. Leviticus 21, 1 through 4. And tonight, I told you last month that we were going to flip-flop the girls and the boys as far as serving. And so tonight, we have some of our uh, middle school, high school girls back here uh, doing our projection and our sound. And so uh, y'all do an awesome job. Round of applause for them. Awesome job back here. Awesome job back here. So um, Leviticus 21, 1 through 4. Would someone read that for us? Husband among 
So as we talked about earlier when we talked about, you know, just the general population of being clean and unclean, anything that's dead is sort of laden with the power of death, okay? And if they're going to go in and they're going uh, to serve God in the tabernacle, then God does not want them around that influence of death. And so for that reason, in a special way, this, this thing or this person became impure, they became incapable of serving in the tabernacle, okay? And so God says, listen, my priests, I'm going to put some boundaries for them. And so you cannot have contact with the dead. Now, everybody else could, but it would make them unclean. But he gives some specific boundaries here, some specific guidelines here. And he says, you can only handle the dead for close blood relatives. Did you catch that? Only blood relatives. And he gives six categories of blood relatives that they could that that the, that, the, that the priests could touch could handle could be in the presence of one was his mom and dad so that's one and two three and four was his brother or his unmarried sister if she was married she was considered another family okay so his brother or his unmarried sister and then his son and his daughter were the only ones that he could be and touch if they were dead. Now notice who's not on there. His wife is not on there. He was not allowed to touch his wife's body after she was dead. That was the job of someone else. He couldn't even handle his own wife's body after she died. And so, but again, God sets these standards so that they would be ceremonially clean, be ready to serve that they would not come into his presence and die. Remember, it was not sinful to be ceremonial, uh, ceremonially unclean. It was sinful to come into the presence of God and serve him in the tabernacle ceremonially unclean. Okay, So he, he's, he's protecting them. Next we see, though, that not only do they have limited contact with the dead body, but priests, when it comes to ceremonial purity, have limited bodily alteration, all right? Limited bodily alteration, verses 5 and 6. Who will read that for us? Leviticus 21, verse 5 and 6. Anybody, jump out there. Now, as you read that, you think, you know what, I mean, they're, they're not allowed to style themselves. Not allowed, now, most likely what these are were pagan funeral rites. These were pagan mourning practices, okay? It's kind of what they're pointing at here. And he said, you can't do that. You can't do that. Um, you were not going to act like the pagans act, all right? So limited bodily alter, alteration. But then finally, they have limited options for marriage, Limited options for, ver for marriage. Verses 7 through 9. Who will read that for us? Thanks. So this is just, uh, you know, you look at the text here and, you know, God, God says, listen, I want, I want my priests to be pure. And so the women that he's going to join with 
um, has to be upstanding, right? She cannot be a prostitute. Uh, but then also it says a woman who's, who's, who's neither woman who's been divorced from her husband. And again, that's not necessarily sinful, but it's ceremonially unclean, okay, um, as far as that goes. And so he, he puts those boundaries around that um, and, and says, the, the, I want my priests to be different. They have a different standard than the regular person, okay? Now, it's interesting here, that last one there, you know, you, you try to read the commentaries, you try to look and understand, I mean, what, what is it getting out here? And the daughter of any priest, if she profanes herself by whoring, profanes her father, she shall be burned with fire. Now, the typical punishment for, um, for someone who, who is a fornicator, as we saw in the past, is what? It's death by what? Stoning. But in this instance here, God takes it up a notch because this is a priest's daughter, all right? And so it says that she shall be burned by fire. Again, not sacrificed and offered to God as an offering, but as her punishment, as her, um, as, as, as her death sentence to be burned with fire. Again, so God takes these things very seriously. So this is the standard here for all of the regular priests, Okay. Secondly, let's look at the ceremonial purity requirements for the high priest because it kind of goes up a notch here. All right, it goes up a notch because the high priest is the one that does what? What is his job to do? He is to go where? Where He's the only one that can go. Into the holy of holies. He's going into the very inner sanctum where God himself manifests his presence, okay? And so he's got to be another level here, all right? So it's interesting here. First, with this ceremonial um, purity, we see with the high priest first that he has limited display of emotions. And we kind of saw this earlier in Leviticus, but it's more clear here. Uh, verse 10. Who would read verse 10 for us? The high priest has the highest rank of all the priests. The anointing oil has been poured on his head So there you go. So both of those things, that uncombed hair, that tearing of clothing, were typical Jewish signs of grief. And God says, you will not, you're not allowed, high priest, to display those things. You are not allowed to show grief even over death, all right? Uh, It's just really interesting there as you think about that, that the priest who is serving before the Lord uh, cannot display those emotions or those outward displays of emotions. It's kind of interesting there. But secondly, we see not only are they, we saw earlier that, that um, the regular priests are limited with contact with the dead body, but with the high priest, he is forbidden all contact with a dead body. Verse 11 and 12, who would read that for us? So again, here he is, even, you know, again, the regular priest could go to their mom and dad, they could handle the body and all that, but even here, this, this guy, the high priest, is completely set apart. His job is to oversee the tabernacle completely and to go into the Holy of Holies, and his job, it seems here to even say, you can't even go to the funeral, okay? You can't even go out of the temple to the funeral, all right? You can't even be in that presence, okay? He's, he's that set apart. He is that, it's that important that he remains ceremonially clean. And then finally, we see that he's forbidden to marry anybody 
but an Israelite virgin. Look at verses 13 through 15. Leviticus 21, 13 through 15. And he shall take a wife in her virginity, a widow or a divorced woman or a woman who has been defiled or a prostitute. These he shall not marry, but he shall take as his wife a virgin of his own people that he may not profane his offspring among his people. For I am the Lord who sanctifies him. So again, that, there's that higher standard there with the high priests. So those are sort of the ceremonial purity requirements for the priest and for the high priest. But God doesn't just stop there. Because again, God requires flawlessness and wholeness for those that are sacrificing in his presence. And so God lays out here next the physical requirements for all priests. And it's simply this. If we were to just categorize this, it's this. No physical defects at all. No physical defects at all. Someone read for us 16 through 18. 16 through 18. Who'd read that for us? So we could go on and read other things in the list here, but, but we see the list here, and, and, and it's got several things here. There's blindness that's listed, unable to walk right, a mutilated face. Um, he has an arm or a leg that's too long. Like I, I, have, a, I have a great uncle who's, who's, who his, his right leg is longer than his left leg. And so in a situation like that, he would not be allowed to serve as a priest. Um, he, he says an injured hand or foot. In other words, the kind of thing that's, that, that's not going to heal. It's kind of crippled, a crippled hand or a crippled foot. Um, <laughs> we talked about last week, you know, hunchbacks and dwarfs. I had no idea these were in the Bible, okay? But, uh, you know, as you, as you read through, it's just, uh, you know, sort of amazing what you read. And, and you're like, whoa, I never thought about that, okay, as far as in the Bible. So, again, someone who's, who, who's, whose spine is deformed, someone who uh, doesn't grow properly, Again, God wants flawlessness and wholeness. God even goes as far as to say, if he has poor eyesight, he cannot be in my presence. Or if he has an itching disease or scabs, it says here. Or if he has crushed genitalia, he cannot come in and serve in the presence of God. Look at verses 21 through 24. Verses 21 through 24 no man of the offspring of Aaron, the priest, who has a blemish, shall come near to offer the Lord's food offerings. Since he has a blemish, he shall not come near to offer the bread of his God. He may not eat the bread of his God, both of the most holy and of the holy things. But he shall not go through the veil or approach. Or I'm sorry, let me go back and read that again. He may eat the bread of his God, both of the most holy and of the holy things. But he shall not go through the veil or approach the altar, because he has a blemish that he may not profane my sanctuaries, for I am the Lord who sanctifies. So Moses spoke to Aaron and to his sons and to all the people of Israel. So as you guys see this, I mean, what, what is your takeaway from this? As you think about God's requirements here. <laughs> That's right. They're looking for some good-looking dudes. That's right. That's right. Who's left? That's a great question. Okay. Yeah. And then, you know, high priests are going to be disqualified if they get older. I mean, these things 
Sure, absolutely. But you think about the high priest even there, with him going in, like again, as we talked about before, I mean, he's taking his life in his hands going into the Holy of Holies. He, he, yeah, maybe so, maybe so. But he better be able to see well because he doesn't want to mess around and accidentally touch the Ark of the Covenant or something like that. It's really important he's able to see and all those things. But what, yes, Shannon. Okay. I don't think so. But he had some of the same restrictions. Oh, right. Mm hmm. Yeah. That's right. Yeah, very similar. The Nazarite vow was very similar in that regard. They were especially uh, set apart for God. Yeah. So, you're right, guys. We read all this basically to say the standard was high, the standard was very high, okay? But next, let's think about requirements for priests to consume uh, consecrated offerings here. So there's just two things, and we're not going to read all this because I'm going to run out of time. All right? But he has two requirements. Now remember, when people came to sacrifice, um, it wasn't all burned and given to God. Some of it was set aside for the priests. It was how the priests earned food. It's how the priests were fed, okay? And so, but that... That food was consecrated. It was set apart for God. It was part of an offering. All right. And so first we read here in Leviticus 22, verse 2 and 3, that, we're not, that they were not to eat consecrated offerings unclean. So not only were they to sacrifice, uh, they had to be clean when they sacrificed. They had to be clean when they ate the sacrificed stuff. And if they got ceremonially unclean some way, then they would have to go and wait and go through the process and all those things. But look at verse 9. Leviticus 22, verse 9. They shall therefore keep my charge, lest they bear sin for it and die thereby when they profane it. I'm the Lord who sanctifies them. So don't, God said, don't eat consecrated offerings unclean. And then secondly, when you think about the requirements here, don't allow anybody but your household to eat consecrated offerings. So only the priest's family could eat these things. They couldn't invite the neighbors over. Uh, they couldn't invite their granny over. Uh, it had to be the priest's wife, the priest's children, and they had to be children in the home. If they were married and had their own household, they couldn't come back and eat what was offered. All right? So those are the requirements for the priest when they consumed consecrated offerings. Again, God's standard is very high. Let's move now to the sacrifice. Move to the sacrifice. Three things here that are just to point out just quickly here for the sacrifices. They had to be a male. They had to be without blemish. And the sacrifice had to be at least eight days old. All right, those are the three things there. But I want you to see here, um, um, the, particularly the, the, the second one, it must be without blemish. It must be without blemish. Look at Leviticus 22. Verses 20 through 22. He'll take that and read that for us tonight. Leviticus 22, verses 20 through 22. You got that, Chan? You want to read that for us? Any of these 
right, so you have a situation there where, again, you know, again, God, we're, we're to offer the best to God, right? Um, not only is it supposed to be um, beautiful and sacrifice to God, but it's supposed to be sacrificial to us. Now, think about that for the, for the Israelites. I mean, if you're bringing, if you're bringing, you know, just, while, just the other day we were driving down um, uh, Alberton Green Hill Road, and out in the field there was a cow laying down on its sides with its legs going like this out. Guess what he was? Dead. He was dead. Now, you couldn't just go out in the field and say, well, I'm going to give this thing to God. I mean, I, I love God so much. I'm just going to take this cow and bring it in, right? Uh, but I obviously couldn't do a cow anyway. It had to be, a, it had to be something that was, that was sacrificial for you and your herd. It, it couldn't be the one that was half blind, blind in one eye, couldn't see out the other. It had to be one that was, that was whole, complete, healthy, all right, without blemish, without blemish. And it was a male, as we see up here, uh, up, up there in, um, in, in verse 19. If it's to be accepted for you, it shall be a male without blemish of the bulls or the sheep or the goats. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I think so. Yep, without blemish. One that was, you know, the one you take to the contest, the one you take to the fair, you know, is the one that they would sacrifice to God. All right. So those are the basic principles for the sacrifice. All right. It must be a male, must be without blemish, and it must be at least eight days old. So let's think about, again, let's, let, we're jumping to the new covenant, okay? That's old covenant because we're not reading Leviticus just in Leviticus. We're reading Leviticus in light of the new covenant here. Three things for us to think about tonight in, in light. Principles from Leviticus in light of the new covenant. And this first one we've kind of rung the bell on a lot, okay? And it's this, only Christ is a worthy priest, the priests had to be without blemish themselves, right? They had to be whole. They had to be flawless in their outward being. Like y'all said, I mean, everybody's got something. I mean, who could have served? But we see that with Christ, only Christ is a worthy priest. Hebrews 7, 26 through 28. Hebrews 7, 26 through 28 says this. For it was indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest, holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. He has no need like those high priests to offer sacrifices daily, first for his own sins, and then for those of the people, since he did this once for all when he offered up himself. For the law appoints men in their weakness as high priests, but the word of the oath, which came later than the law, appoints a son who has been made perfect forever. Only Christ could ultimately sacrifice only he could receive the payment in one sense or or offer the payment I should say for our sins but then that takes us to the second thing is that not only is Christ a worthy it, it, only Christ is a worthy priest only Christ is a worthy sacrifice so guys if you think about what it says here Jesus says that you think about when he says they are not taking my life I'm laying down my life Jesus was both the priest and the sacrifice in his offering here. And only Christ is a worthy sacrifice. Only Christ is the one who is without blemish. 
I'm going to pass out some passages here, okay? I want everybody, so we, I, want, I want you to hear all of these because we're just going to get in our brain the sinlessness of Jesus. Jesus was not just a good man because good men still sin. Jesus was sinless. All right, so I'm going to pass these out. Who will take 1 Peter 2, 21 through 22? 1 Peter 2, 21 through 22. Thank you. Danny, who will take 1 John 3, 5? Jeannie, thank you. 1 John 3, 5. Hebrews 4, 14 through 16. Thank you, Shannon. Hebrews 4, 14 through 16. 2 Corinthians 5, 21. Thanks, Wes. 2 Corinthians 5, 21. Might be able to quote that one. And then finally, 1 Peter 1, 18 and 19. 1 Peter 1, thanks, Phil. 1 Peter 1, 18 and 19. I want you to just hear over and over again how it talks about Jesus as the spotless lamb, the unblemished sacrifice. All right, 1 Peter 2, 21 through 22. (laughs) Yes, it is. So it clearly says there, he committed no sin. He committed no sin. 1 John 3, 5. And you you know that Jesus came to take away our sins, and there is no sin in him. There it is, just clear as day, right? There is no sin in him. Hebrews 4, 14 through 16. tempted yet he did not sin he was without sin second corinthians 5 21 for our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of god and then finally first peter 1 18 and 19 Oh, I love the Bible, how it all fits together, y'all. Think about that for a moment. We've said it over and over again that Leviticus sets up Christ. It's about Christ. And that's why, guys, when John the Baptist in, in John chapter 1, when he saw Jesus and Jesus coming and walking toward him, he turned around and proclaimed to everybody who could hear him, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. He's the only sacrifice that we, that would save us. He's the only worthy sacrifice. No one else could die in your place because no one else is sinless but him. Guys, that's why there's no other way. There's no other way to be saved except through Jesus. 
Because he is the only sin. He lived the life. I say this all the time. You probably get tired of, me here, tired of hearing me say it. He lived the life that we cannot and have not lived. He was sinless. And because of his sinlessness, he could be sacrificed. So that you and I may be forgiven of our sins. Every person who will turn and repent. And finally this. Only through Christ, here's the final thing, only through Christ are we made flawless and whole. Only through Christ are we made flawless and whole. In other words, here's what I'm saying to you. You would never, I would never be acceptable to God apart from Jesus Christ. Sin has so corrupted, sin is so deformed. Sin is so played out in every facet of our lives that we would forever be unaccepted to God. But through Christ, we get Christ's righteousness. And just as Christ was accepted, you think about in the book of Hebrews there where you get that sort of coronation Behold, my son, I'm my only begotten. Today I've begotten you. You're higher than the angels. You know, the, the earth is your footstool. All those things. As Christ is accepted, now we're accepted. We're made whole and we're made flawless through Jesus. Whole and flawless through Jesus. And here's the cool thing. Must be an amber alert, maybe. Is that what that is? All right. So here's the thing, though. Think about this. This is my last thing I'm going to say. So I got us cut off at 720. Um, not only that, are we made spiritually whole and spiritually flawless, but think about this. There's coming a resurrection day. When these old, deformed, I mean, you know what? In the resurrection, I'm going to have all my hair probably. <laughs> it's going to be beautiful. I won't have this lazy eye maybe. You know what I'm talking about? I won't have these teeth that are all gappy. I don't even know. I mean, but whatever it is, as you look at all those things, my, my back won't be hunched over and all this stuff. All right? Guys, in the resurrection, we will be made physically whole. Guys, this is complete redemption. Inside and out, upside and down, every way you look at it, through Jesus Christ. And it's all set up and given the picture through the book of Leviticus. Hi there, this is Pastor Ben. I have something really important to ask you, but first, I want to say thank you for taking the time to make this digital connection with us through our podcast. I hope the message you just listened to was a blessing, but an even greater blessing than this digital connection would be for you to connect with us in person this coming Sunday at one of Eastwood's two campuses where we get the joy of living life together in Jesus' name. And now for that really important question, which is... The most important question you'll ever answer, where do you stand before God? Now, based on what you've done, the straightforward answer is that you stand guilty and condemned before God. You are a sinner who completely deserves God's wrath forevermore in hell. And I deserve the same thing also. I mean, every person does. Guys, that's terrible news. And even worse is the fact that there's nothing you can do in and of yourself to change that. You need a Savior. But I have good news. God loved the world so much that he sent Jesus to be your savior. Jesus came and lived the perfect life that you cannot live. And he stood condemned on the cross, dying the death you deserve. 
And three days later, Jesus was raised from the dead to prove to everybody that he is indeed the Savior of the world. And now Jesus longs to change your standing before God by making a trade with you. He desires to take what you've earned, which is the wrath of God in hell, and to give you in return what he has earned, which is the blessing of God in heaven. When this trade happens, instead of standing guilty and condemned before God, you will stand forgiven and righteous with the promise of everlasting life. So what must you do to have your standing before God changed? First, admit to God you are a sinner. Second, hate your sins. Turn from them and ask God to forgive you. And finally, turn to Jesus in faith and love, putting your complete hope in Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, and follow him until the day you die. Wherever you are listening to this podcast, Jesus is ready to make this trade with you. And I pray that you would trust in Jesus and be saved. Thank you again for connecting with us. And I hope to see you soon at Eastwood Baptist Church.